This reading is Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At, the time, at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who appeared to him. From there he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on his west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continues toward Negev. We come here to worship on a great God, worship a great God, give him our praise. Our adoration. Yet we remember that we live in a dark world. Last weekend, five Palestinians were killed by Israeli security forces in four separate incidents. Two were shot after they opened fire themselves with automatic weapons near Jerusalem. One was killed after he ran at a border guard with a knife. Two 15-year-old boys were shot and killed for throwing rocks at passing vehicles in the West Bank, a Palestinian area currently occupied by Israeli forces. There are some 600,000 Israelis living in what are commonly regarded as illegal settlements in Palestinian territory. Writing in The Guardian, the Israeli historian Avi Shlaim has said that Jewish settlements in occupied territories are immoral illegal and an insurmountable obstacle to peace. They are at once the instrument of exploitation and the symbol of the hated occupation. Zionism comes in all kinds of different forms and shapes and sizes, but biblical Zionists see themselves as having a God-given right to occupy, settle and live in that part of the land because it was promised to them promised to their ancestor Abraham. And for them, that is a plain fact straight from the Bible. They have God's authority to live there. This is Schleim's comment on Zionism. It achieved its greatest triumph with the establishment of the State of Israel in 1948. But no other aspect of Zionism, however, is more controversial than its attitude towards the indigenous population of the land of its dreams. Chaim Weizmann, the first president of the State of Israel, famously said, it's by its treatment of the Palestinians that his country will be judged. Yet, when judged by this criterion, Zionism is not just an unqualified failure, but a tragedy of historic proportions. Zionism did achieve its central goal, but at a terrible price, the displacement and dispossession of the Palestinians, what the Arabs called the Nakba, the catastrophe. There's different perspectives 
on the establishment of the State of Israel. It was the Arab stated aim at the time to wipe it off the surface of the earth. And they, they fought hard to maintain and protect, protect themselves. Arguably, the pendulum swings in the other direction now. But you look at what is going on in the occupied territories and think, is that what God has in mind for the people of the land? And it all starts with Abraham. God has a lot to answer for. To you and to your descendants, I will give this land, he says. Promised Abraham three things, actually. John Leveson puts it this way. The man without a country will inherit a whole land. The man with a barren wife will have plenty of offspring. And the man who has cut himself off from kith and kin in leaving his father's house when God called him will be pronounced blessed by all the families of the earth. It is a remarkable story with far-reaching implications that are still felt in that part of the world today. First promise. Abraham would become a great nation. Quite a promise for a 75-year-old man who hasn't had any children yet. Yet it was a promise that was fulfilled. And Abraham's readiness to trust God for the impossible serves as an example to us all. Why Abraham? Why out of all the the people around at the time, why, why pick out this man? The Bible doesn't say. Though Jewish legend supplies the answer, saying that Abraham did his best to turn his father and his brothers away from idolatry to worship the one true God of heaven. And his father was really sympathetic. He, he heard what Abraham had to say and, and, and wanted to, to follow him, but he was, he was too weak, really, to do so. And his brothers, his brothers were just angry with him. And when one night Abraham sets fire to the house containing all the idols, his brother Haran, Lot's father, rushes in to try and rescue them and dies trying to rescue the idols from the flames. That's why Abraham takes Lot with him when he goes into the promised land. None of it's in the Bible. Stories developed purely out of a desire to fulfill, to fill the gaps in the biblical narrative. What we do know from Genesis is that when God called Abraham, the world was in pretty bad shape. Genesis 11, the chapter before Abraham's call, talks about the building of the Tower of Babel, the scattering of humanity across the globe, the complete breakdown in communication, when everybody just starts to speak different languages, no one can understand what anybody else is saying. It was time for a new start. The world was in pretty desperate straits. And the first step towards setting it right was God saying to Abraham, you, you leave all this behind. You go to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a nation. A nation that will honour me. A nation that will be my people. And there'll be a blessing to the rest of the world. Because the second thing Abraham is promised is blessing. And over and over again, God will bless him. Abraham himself will be a blessing. God will bless whoever blesses Abraham. And curse whoever whoever treats Abraham with disdain. And all the people on earth will be blessed through Abraham. Or maybe all the people in the world will find blessing in Abraham. Or or maybe they'll just seek Abraham's blessing for themselves. The exact meaning isn't clear, but the gist of it is... Abraham's going to be blessed by God and everybody associated with Abraham is going to be blessed by God as well because of who Abraham is. Abraham, chosen, selected 
by God, to be the father of a great nation, to be a channel of God's blessing to the rest of humanity. God's purpose in calling this man. God's purpose in giving him these children. God's purpose in settling them in a land that will be the kind of blueprint of what it means to live under God's blessing. That was, that was the purpose. But the third dimension of the promise is where things get a little bit awkward, where God says, to your offspring, I will give this land. This place you've been walking around, this place you're going to go to, this place where you will walk from one end to the other and build altars everywhere, I will give this land to your children. The problem, of course, is that other people already live there, the Canaanites. How can Abraham be a blessing to them when God takes their land away and gives it to him? And things get even worse when Moses takes it upon himself to command in God's name that all the inhabitants of the land should be exterminated in what is really nothing short of religiously motivated genocide. So we have people asking the question, why did God tell people to destroy other people who hadn't had a chance to change their ways or be told what was right? The biblical answer is that they had had time to change their ways. 450 years, actually. That's why God says to Abraham, actually, none of this is going to happen immediately. You know, your descendants are going to go away and they're going to be slaves in the land of Egypt and I'll bring them back later on to this land. Because, why the delay? Because the sin of the Amorites hasn't reached full measure yet. Actually, you know, I'm still giving these people a chance for the time being. It would only be time to kick them out of the land when things have just got so bad there is no redemption for them anymore. Even so... There are those who say it's still not really right or fair. But the perspective of Genesis is actually the world was a better place without the people who were living in the land at the time. It's time to clear them out and begin again with Abraham and his descendants. But whatever way you look at it, there does seem to be a tension between the promise to be a blessing to the rest of the world and the promise to inherit the land. If it was God's intention that Abraham's descendants living in the promised land should be a means of blessing everybody else in the world, then it's not always easy to see how that intention was realised, especially as you go on to read through the Old Testament. Time and time again, the emphasis is on the land. The land, the conquest of the land, living in the land, keeping everybody else out of the land. Just occasionally, you catch a glimpse of what it means to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. Just once in a while in the prophets you see, you know, the nations will come to your light and, and all this kind of stuff. But actually, you know, it's almost as if the struggle for the land eclipses the promise of being a blessing. And that may be because they were never really secure in the land. You know, getting in there was a trouble, staying in there was a trouble. They never really got themselves sorted out enough, actually, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. They did it for a while under Solomon. Uh, But it all went pear-shaped after his reign and and the possibility of being a blessing to the rest of the world evaporated as his sons did bad jobs, generally speaking, of governing the nation. So the land became the focus. The The blessing was lost to some extent. And there are those who would argue today that Israel still gets that priority wrong, valuing possession of the land over the making of peace with its neighbours. The territory is what counts, rather than being a blessing to the people who live around us and with us. So what was God about making those promises to Abraham in the first place? 
Tom Wright, you'll see some of his books on the library outside, he argues that God calling Abraham was the first step in setting right a world that had gone disastrously wrong. The world was just... Yeah, it was a mess. How to begin again? Where to start again? Started once with Noah, that hadn't lasted very long. God's plan and purpose to create a people who would be holy to him, who would live his way, who would show the rest of the world what it meant to be the people of God. That was God's purpose in calling Abraham. And in some ways, these three promises to Abraham undo three aspects of the curse that had come upon the world as a result of Adam's sin. In Adam, the ground is cursed. Abraham will restore God's blessing to the world. Adam, the ground is cursed, but Abraham will inhabit a portion of the world that will once again be paradise, where God lives with his people. For Eve, childbearing will be painful, but notwithstanding this, Abraham will be blessed with an abundance of children. Adam and Eve expelled from God's garden, but Adam's descendants will inherit a place where once again God makes his home. So with Abraham, God effectively renews his original mandate to humanity to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and bring it under God's control. Wasn't working. But rather than give up on humanity as a failed experiment, God chose Abraham to start again and intended through this man and his descendants to renew and bless all the nations of the world. That, according to Tom Wright, was God's call to the descendants of Abraham. But it's not a calling, by and large, that they fulfilled. You read the Old Testament through and actually you don't see it happening. It's a story of their missing the mark all too often in terms of living life as the people whom God made a covenant with. People who kept his laws. People who walked in his ways. People who honoured him. The Old Testament is... The narrative of the Old Testament is the story of Israel's failure and God promised to do something new. So where Israel tried and failed to live as God's people, Jesus, as the seed of Abraham, is the one who shows us what it means to live in a perfect relationship with God. What it is to live as one who honours God, who keeps God's laws. He is the one who fulfills Israel's calling. And in Jesus, God's promises to Abraham find a new and more profound fulfillment. God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. Who are the descendants of Abraham? According to the New Testament, we are. We are. We're part of his family. Not on the basis of physical descent from him as our ancestor, but on the basis of faith. Abraham trusted God and foresaw the fulfilment of God's promise to him. So we, when we put our faith in Christ, we become children of Abraham. Paul puts it this way in Romans 4. The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Because it's written, I've made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. In Jesus, 
The promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation is expanded beyond the limitations of ethnic Israel to include us. That means that as Abraham's descendants, we also inherit the blessing promised to him as well. Because in Christ we're blessed. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as Paul says. Our name becomes a blessing. Because we're known by the name of Christ. God blesses those who bless us. And our calling is to be a blessing to the rest of the world. We worship a God whose heart is to bless his creation. And whose desire is to work in partnership with people to bring that blessing about. God's heart always was that you know, we should be his agents in the world to make the world a wonderful place. He made it good. Our role is to maintain it and develop that goodness. It's not a a calling that we have fulfilled as the human race at large. But our calling, as the children of Abraham, is to be a channel of God's blessing, of his love and his grace to the world at large. Working in partnership with God to bring his blessings to all the nations of the world. And that ranges across a whole range of activities in which we can and should participate. Preaching the gospel is one, certainly. Campaigning for fair trade with developing nations, something we'll be thinking about next week. Working for reconciliation in situations of conflict. Achieving the Millennium Development Goals. Sharing the good news of Jesus with people from every tribe, race, nation and language. That is our mandate, to be God's blessing to the world so that people see the goodness of God in and through us it's not just about people either working in partnership with God's spirits it's our role to bring God's blessing to the created order we are exploring what it means to be an eco-friendly church our calling is to be a channel of God's blessing without restriction All that goodness and grace and love and mercy and blessing in God's heart needs to be channeled and funneled through his people. God has blessed us abundantly in and through his Son. We are called to be channels of that blessing out into the rest of the world. And what about the land then? That's the vexed question. First sight, it looks like it just takes a back seat in the New Testament scheme of things. The church, after all, has no geographical base. We're not called to establish any territory with boundaries as God's kingdom. And whenever the church has misguidedly attempted to do so, the result has always been an ignominious failure. So does this aspect of God's promise that's arguably overemphasized in the Old Testament get quietly forgotten in the New? Actually, it gets expanded. Paul says that God's promise to Abraham that he would inherit the land means that we as his descendants will inherit the whole earth. Not in the sense of establishing universal political dominion, but in the sense that it is God's purpose through Christ to renew this world, to bring about a new creation that's free from sin and suffering, futility and death. And that is the promise, inherent, inheritance promise to the new humanity which he is recreating by his spirit through his son Jesus Christ. That we should be his agents in the new creation which he has promised. And which he has begun to bring about by raising Jesus from the dead. The first step in new creation is the resurrection of Christ. The next step is renewing us as his people. And subsequent steps will be bringing about this whole new order. The perfection of God's creation in which there is no mourning or sickness or crying or pain or sin or evil or suffering. 
That is the inheritance God promises to us as those who are in Christ, the seed of Abraham. So let's take a step back and look at those promises again. God, his promises to Abraham are not the point at which it all started to go wrong. It had all gone disastrously wrong already. God's promises to Abraham were the first step in starting to put things right. Promises fulfilled shakily, not necessarily completely, through Israel. Fulfilled in Christ. Still looking to find their fulfilment in and through us as his people. To be sure, in a sinful world already gone badly wrong, a faulty understanding of those promises and misguided attempts to implement them have caused and continue to cause a huge amount of suffering. But God's purpose is not thwarted because in Christ those promises are inaugurated and in Christ they will be fulfilled. So the mandate comes to us as inheritors of those promises to Abraham through Christ to live as people of faith. To be channels of God's unlimited blessing to the rest of the world. To point the way forward to God's new creation, which has been inaugurated through the resurrection of Jesus and which will be established on his return. That is our calling. We just need to make sure that we don't get it wrong. That we are worthy of the calling to be God's people. That we do bring God's blessing to the rest of the world that we hold before us the vision of the new creation which is in our inheritance and work towards its realisation here and now in anticipation of the return of Christ when everything will be made new. God promised a whole lot of stuff to Abraham. One way or another, we are heirs of those promises. Let's believe them and let's live them out in practice in how we live our lives in God's world.